This is the place where Black is the main character, where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop and BMF. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome you into the latest edition of Gunna One, the podcast. It is brought to you by Patterson Square Garden. I'm Derek Gunn. And of course, uh, Eagles fans, uh, we sit, we wait, we watch, and wonder uh, who the next head coach will be for the Philadelphia Eagles, what direction this team will take, who will be on the roster in 2021, who will be deleted. Uh, so on um, this particular podcast, I thought I'd bring in somebody who was always in the know, somebody who I got to know uh, when I came to this market back in the late 1990s. He has been a writer for the Philadelphia Inquirer for 25 years, the last 12 uh, covering the Philadelphia Eagles. He is one of the most insightful writers in this market. I am uh, extremely proud to co- not only call him a colleague, uh, but a friend as well. We welcome in Jeff McClain. Jeff, how you doing, man? Hey, Gunner, what's up? Not not bad, brother. Um, you know, this COVID thing has uh, changed a lot of ways that we uh, approach our industry now. Uh, so, so first of all, I want to ask you off the top, you covered the Philadelphia Eagles in 2020 differently than you've ever had to cover this team before. What was that whole experience like, not being able to go in a locker room, not being able to basically travel, uh, to do one-on-ones like we all like to do to get you know certain tidbits that maybe our competitors don't get? What was that like for you, man? Uh, it was tough. I have to admit it. Uh, you know, I don't cry poor here or, or make excuses about you know having to cover the team, but you know the big. You know, having access is, is key to doing our jobs, mm-hmm. and that involves obviously not only locker room access, but uh, practice access, access, being around the team, being able to travel with them, uh, being just kind of there when things are going down. And we just 
we didn't have that ability. Now we were able to watch some practices during training camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we did get, uh, I did get to travel to some of the games, but, okay. you know, watch the games in the press box, but no locker room access. Obviously I haven't, I think the closest I got to coach, you know, Doug Peterson, a couple of times at practices would walk up to me and, and from a distance talk. Uh, but you know, otherwise most of my stuff was done over zoom zooms or mm-hmm. it was done just over the text message or calling people on the phone and that, and that, you know, there's ways around it. And I feel like uh, a lot of us still tried to do our best, but um, certainly not ideal. This season, as we look back on it now, turned out to be unlike anything we expected. And as we sit here today, how surprised are you that Doug Peterson is not the head coach of this team? I don't think I'm surprised. Uh, You know, even dating back to last year when the Eagles kind of pressured Doug into firing Mike Mm Rowe after he told Mike personally that he was returning, after he publicly said that he was he was coming back. And Doug, I found out later, was was very upset about that. In fact, had kind of been saying that he's quitting. You know, uh, I think the you know, he might have said that in jest. But and that's the way the Eagles took it. But that to me kind of got my mind thinking and just and just hearing about from people in the organization of how that was accepted and how they went about replacing Mike and how Doug was just being placed in a very difficult position. So um, obviously my, my Spidey Spence uh, sent me down that path and I'd wrote a story right before the season, kind of examining that a little closer and how, you know, this dynamic that they had created where Jeff and, and Howie are very involved in Doug's decisions. I just, I felt like at some point there was a potential for it to blow up. And it would have obviously taken a really bad season for that to happen, which is what we saw. And over the course of the season, you just got a feeling and talking to people, I'm sure you did as well, that it was going down a certain path that wasn't, um, there was a chance that it would not be able to be salvaged. And in November, when I found out that Jeff didn't go to the Browns game, I, I was like, well, that's weird. And I talked to people who've been around the organization for many, many years. And like, Jeff has never missed a game. He goes to, he probably travels to every game. That's just not who he is. Found out later that he was upset by the team. And it was kind of almost a message that he was delivering, probably specifically to Doug Peterson. It wasn't just that. It was practices that Jeff was attending, that he was leaving in, in frustration. He was telling people there that how he felt. Um, and I think people just knowing Jeff could, could feel it. So anyway, you're watching the team and how this is imploding. You're watching you're, – I'm, I'm getting this information about Jeffrey and certainly about Howie uh, behind the scenes about how they feel about what's going down. And then I know about with Carson and how, uh, you know, you saw what happened. You know, could they look at Doug and say, okay, somebody's got to go here. It, it can't, I, we can't bring both of these guys back because of what happened. This There was no way for Doug to get Carson back on path. And I'm not saying that's Doug's fault. Uh, that could just as well be Carson's fault more than anything. It's probably you can point directions in every in every way as to what happened this season. And, you know, when they told him, apparently they told him before the end of the season that, yeah, he probably was coming back. And I think that's why Doug came out so confident at the, the press conferences leading up to that. But when they had the the interview with uh, Jeff and Doug kind of came back and said, you know, I want to, I'm going to roll this back uh, uh, the same way and, and promote Press Taylor and maybe promote uh, Matt Burke. I felt like that was Jeff saying, thinking to himself, all right, well, this just isn't going to work. And then also I'm sure that probably his plan for the quarterback situation was probably not what they wanted as well, or at least maybe he didn't have a good enough plan and they weren't satisfied and hence we have dug out. Sorry, long answer to a, to a short question. 
No, no, that's fine. That's what we're here for. Um, so as this dismal season uh, unfolded, do you think Doug lost this team along the way? I don't know if that's fair to say. I mean, I think the mm-hmm. one thing that Doug has always done a very good job of is getting players to play for him. I've never seen any sign really of guys giving up, whereas in the past I had with Chip Kelly and even with Andy Reid, to be perfectly frank, uh, we saw in that final game, there were guys that just t- mm-hmm. you know, totally gave up. Uh, you know, this final game, they were kind of essentially tanking. I hate to use that word because the players are playing as hard as they can. I don't, I, right, I don't right. question them in that regard. But the, the effort they were still giving at that point um, for Doug. And, you know, Doug is, is a player's coach. They like him. So I don't think, you know, I don't think that Doug had lost the team. Look, I mean, look, you can't please everybody. I'm sure there were probably some disgruntled players in that locker room. Yep. I'm sure there were some guys thinking, you know what, maybe we just got to – we got to maybe change this up. And I th- certainly think that's the same. But, I, you know, from what I gathered, pretty much everybody uh, respected Doug immensely in that building. Maybe he had lost a few guys along the way, but it wasn't anywhere what I saw previously with other head coaches. Now, you, like many others, were on the weekly press conferences Doug would hold throughout the course of the season. And I'm going to give you my perspective, and you tell me if you agree with me or not. The more we watched Doug on these press conferences, as the team continued to lose, as the bodies continued to drop, as the questions became more prominent about Carson Wentz, especially after he was demoted, to me, it just looked like Doug was a beaten man. It was just he was just worn down from constantly having to answer the same questions over and over again, and he really couldn't give you any definitive answers. You know, I think that's fair. Um, you know. I think it's fair to say, if you looked at the three main parties here, Howie yep. Roseman, Doug yep. Peterson, Carson Wentz, it, it may be, I'm not saying this is a fact, and, and I'm not even saying it's my opinion, but you could make the argument that Doug was the, probably the least deserving to go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at some point, you know, I think he stood up for himself and was just, you know, if he can't run the team the way he wants to run the team, then you know, I think he was just exasperated by the whole thing. And then right. certainly by Carson as well. I mean, I, don't, I, you know, as I reported this past weekend, I mean, Carson and Doug, the, the relationship, I wasn't the first to report this. Uh, there was an ESPN report mm-hmm. that the relationship had been fractured. I was told that it wasn't fractured. That was certainly uh, splintered. It was certainly not mm-hmm. great. There was a lot of going back and forth, butting of heads. Um, but um yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I always – whenever you look at presidents when they first go into the office and when they leave, they look like they've aged, uh, you know, 100 yeah. years. And I feel like if you yeah. look at Doug in 2016 versus now, you'd think that, geez, he's been through a lot in five years. Mm. Well, you know, leaks start coming out. Uh, Carson um, is, is, doesn't trust Doug Peterson. Um, the relationship has, has fractured uh, somewhat. Did this create a toxic environment in that locker room? Um, I think it was not great. And I think obviously the pandemic didn't help. I mean, there were times you, I mean, you couldn't have a full locker room. Guys weren't always in there with each other. The coaching staff is, staffs couldn't always be around each other. So there's a lot of Zooms, what we're doing here in terms of how they, um, they went about their business. And that makes it very difficult mm-hmm. to develop relationships, especially when you're bringing in new faces 
Um, so I think that factored into not only the coaching staff, but also the locker room as well. It was hard, as you mentioned at the top of the, uh, of the podcast, yeah. it, uh, it was hard for us to, uh, to get a gauge on what the feeling was around the team. Cause we weren't in there every day. Right, we right. weren't around the guys. It's just, I think a lot of the stuff earlier, if we had the ability to be there every day and talk to players and to get a sense of what's going on, but we've been around losing teams before when it's gotten bad and it, it just, it gets bad. I mean, it just mm-hmm. it typically, and, I, and I, look, I mean, I'm a bad and bad worker. The guys are fighting all the time, et cetera, like that, but it happens and it just becomes, no one's happy to be coming into work and um, there's division over who should do this and that and the other thing. And then certainly when you made the quarterback change, there were guys who were in still in Carson's corner, but there were guys who were not. So that yep. there's, it's only inevitable to have a split in that regard. I don't think there's like, you know, it's the Jets and the Sharks, you know, drawing a line in the middle of the, uh, the locker room and fighting it out. But certainly uh, you had guys that felt one way versus the other. All right. Now, you just alluded to a few moments ago this uh, past weekend, uh, your eye opening article comes out in the Philadelphia Inquirer. And I would advise everybody to uh, read it. Uh, as I expected from Jeff, very insightful, in a lot of ways, uh, very telling. Uh, the article is called Inside Carson Wentz's Turbulent Season and the Forces Behind His Regression. How long had you been working on this story? I mean, when I think back to it, Gunner, probably since Carson was drafted. I mean, you know, it's just kind of wow. a build up okay. of, of how you get to know somebody and know the people around him. And um, just in terms of like having the background, um, but look, we, you know, I'm not the first person to kind of write about this or, or it's, right. it's come out in drips and drabs. I feel like over the years, certainly Joe Santa Laquito had a report yep. in the voice uh, a couple of years ago, maybe had been a little bit, um, overhyped, maybe a little too much opinion in it. I felt at the time, I mean, certainly give Joe credit because he took a lot of abuse for writing that. Yeah, he did. Sure uh, he did. But, uh, I think. Around, when things started to go kind of south on, on Carson, even really early in September, I started talking to people and getting more information about what's going on. So, like, again, some of my stories, some of this stuff was already in it as the season went along. But right. certainly when he, he was benched, that's when I started going to people and being like, what's going on here? What happened? Once you saw Hurts play against the Saints, then you're wondering, okay, well, why was this guy able to play this way versus this guy? And yep. then people were obviously more willing to talk at that point. And so that had kind of been – um, brewing for a while. And then there was, an, uh, there was a conversation I had with a couple people towards the end of the season that really kind of broke the, uh, the dam open on the story. And then obviously, as you know, Gunner, season's yeah. over. Um, people are much more willing to talk about what mm-hmm. had just gone down. Mm-hmm. And, um, and certainly if, they're, if their future with, is not with the Eagles, even more willing to talk about it. All right. Now, I highlighted a number of um, lines from your article, and I just want you to break them down for me. And I want to start with this one. Uh, your story, you use a lot of uh, unnamed sources. Yep. And one of the one of the topics you bring out, which really was like, wow, Carson didn't take to hard coaching. Really? You're a professional athlete. You've spent your whole life playing a game where you get yelled at at times. You get coddled when you have to, but you get yelled at at times. But he didn't take to hard coaching. I find that hard to hard to believe. I don't I don't doubt you one bit. I have the utmost respect yeah. for what you do and everything you write. I read it religiously. But I, that just shocked me. That can you elaborate on that? 
Yeah, and I think I provided a few examples in there. Yeah. I think the hard coaching specifically that I was told that he, that he really kind of uh, struggled with was you did this wrong and you need to uh, recognize it. And if you can't recognize it, then we need to practice it. And Carson would get very, very – would bristle at that or, um, you know, in the case of press – because he had some sort of power over him, mm-hmm. press wouldn't correct him. So it got to the point where like Carson was just free to do what he wanted. And look, I mean, you know, he obviously took to some hard coaching before because John D. Filippo coaches that way. Frank Wright coaches that way. Now they each have different kind of styles. So it wasn't like, it's like a, you know, matter of fact thing. He can't right, do this. Right. But increasingly became apparent that this was something that he did not prefer to play, and that's the way the Eagles had had set it up by having, you know, by Doug obviously being his way. Doug wasn't going to change. Maybe he should have when Frank and uh, Flip left. But then you have Mike Rowe come in, tried to be that way, Mm -hmm. really kind of tried to toe that line and and fight his battles when necessary, and then press just wasn't – that wasn't in his nature. Mm. Um, So – yeah, so Carson, uh, it was not his style to deal with it, and I don't. And that was something we heard pre-draft. I mean, that was you heard him butting heads with. And look again, the butting heads is fine. Type A personalities are fine, right? Um, but the way it was presented to me was yes, Peyton Manning, Brett Favre, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers. These guys are all type A guys, and they'll fight back. It's okay to have that give and take, but right. you still have to want the hard coaching. You still have to want that, and apparently from from talking to people in the organization for, for years now, and obviously specifically recently, they were under the impression that it was just something that he was not willing to, to adapt mm. to. Now, he may have to if they bring in Josh McDaniels, say. He may yeah. have no other choice. But what's, what's going to happen um, if that were to be the case? Yeah, yeah. Um, you said he struggled with accountability, um, especially when they would be in a quarterback room, his errors would be pointed out, right. and he would find a way to deflect uh, his part into what went wrong. That's that's not a leader, and that sends a bad message uh, to anybody else who you want to stand in that huddle with you and to follow your lead. Yeah, absolutely, and that was that was obviously an issue. I think that may have been well, that was an issue with the coaches, but it was also an issue in the locker room with some players. Um, that Carson and we've seen it again in press conferences where like there was never a, a, a full like, Hey, that's on me. I need to do, you know, this, that, or the, you know, mm-hmm. and it wasn't in like Andy sometimes would just do that to protect other people. And it's it, at a certain point it became uh, Andy Reid. I'm talking about it. Be, right. it, it seemed like he was just doing it to placate the questions. Um, but the very best at it, when they take accountability for stuff that may not even be their fault, mm-hmm. um, do it in a sincere way. And I always felt like Carson didn't. So again, it got me to asking people and they're like, you'd hear stories about, you know, after a game, he would tell guys close to him, oh, I felt I thought I played well, or <laughs> I thought that was not on me or something like that. And they would, this some of his closest, but, and they would be like thinking to themselves, Come on, man. You know, like, and that became an issue. Um, now, there was a report, and, and it kind of came out that, like, the early, late December, that Carson stood up in front of the team and kind of said, you know, I need to play better and, and that kind of stuff. 
Um, and so I think there were, there were attempts to be accountable. It wasn't like he was right. never accountable for mistakes. And certainly in the, in the publicly, he would take accountability for some things, but he did not go far enough. And I felt like uh, players felt like uh, that was an issue. And if you can't, don't have that in you, it's very hard to change certain things about your personality. Mm. Um, because of his lack of accountability, how much do you think that hurt his credibility in the locker room amongst his teammates? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the quote I, I gave was from a veteran player. I mean, that, you know, his yep. issue was he can't, he can't admit that he's lost his games this year and, and he may never be able to get that corrected. Um, and, and, and that may be what you see in the locker room. Now, all that being said, there's gonna be a lot of roster turnover this year, right? Yep. There's gonna be a lot of guys that aren't coming back. So I'm sure the Eagles are looking at that and saying, okay, he's just got to get whatever core guys that are coming back and get them to believe in him. And I'm sure there, again, I, I, I wasn't just talking to players that had turned on Carson or were, mm-hmm. there were guys that supported him as well, but we've heard that publicly. We know that. Yep. And honestly, let's be honest here. A lot of them are just doing it because that's what they have to do. They're being told to do that or they can't mm-hmm. turn on their quarterback and they're being leaders themselves. But what I'm hearing from behind the scenes was that there weren't, he was losing guys. He was losing guys and there mm-hmm. weren't many left in that locker room that believed in him. But what kept being hammered home to me was that he can turn us around and he can win the locker room back. And the best way to win, win him back is to win games. Hmm. I couldn't agree with you more. Okay. So he would change plays. He would kill plays uh, that Peterson called because he didn't like the plays. Well, that's the way now, it looked. That's the way it looked to, to other players and, and coaches was that he was doing this on purpose. And so another line you put in there said it became a pissing match between the two, meaning between Carson and Doug, to the point it affected preparation for games and strategy during games, correct? I would imagine. Um, Look, you know, Carson, obviously most quarterbacks have some sort of leeway in terms of what they can change at the line. They've given Carson that ever since his rookie year. Yeah, the kill kills. Yep. Now they don't give him the playbook and say, hey, you can just run this play, whatever you want. It's like one or two plays, one or pass run this way or run that way. But the issue was that when he was doing it at times, they couldn't understand why he was doing it. The box is full of eight. Why are we checking to a run? Uh, You know, whatever. Give another example. And then maybe sometimes if you didn't like a play, honestly, I I, I don't know if I should, I could, I could not confirm this because I I want, I need more sources on this. But one of the ones was like, he would do something even after the play, which just was even run that had, people questioning what's he doing here? Mm-hmm. Is he really trying to sabotage this play? Um, now, that being said, Doug wasn't calling great plays a lot of times too. I, right, you, right. I was, why weren't they rolling them out? Why aren't they taking exactly. advantage of his ability to move on the run? So, like, I mean, I can understand where Carson's coming from as well. Now, you don't you – don't, uh, you don't uh, undermine your coach like that. Now, of course, a lot of this goes into he was given this much power. Yep. He was allowed to do this in a lot of ways. Press wasn't reining him in. Doug and the other coaches didn't have the ability to rein him in because, as I even said at the top of the story, this is something that had been – this is the environment that was created by the organization to give mm-hmm. Carson so much power. And it, just, it got to a point where it just, you know, have we created a monster here? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, uh, you know, as I – one quote uh, source said to me was that it effectively became Carson going rogue. 
and mm. and that's an issue. When he didn't get his way, or when things didn't go well for him, um, one thing I picked up on your article in your article was he would isolate himself from 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 his teammates. Really. Well, we've seen before that uh, Car- I mean, Carson, even from the very beginning, would say that it was d- difficult for him coming from North Carolina to Philadelphia in this environment. He needed to find like-minded guys, and he did. We all know about his little posse that he had early on. Right, right. At this point, Zach Ertz is pretty much the only guy left. Now, he's obviously made friends, friendships in other ways. Um, when I say isolate, he would – yeah, I mean, Carson would – we've heard this before. Carson would kind of – revert back to that group at a lot of times and wouldn't go out of his comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that now that a lot of that was also the way other people felt about him too. It probably, they probably made it very clear that he shouldn't feel comfortable among them. Yeah. Um, like, you know how it is in the locker room. There's always a yeah. lot of divisions. There's a lot of guys that hang out this, this thing or that thing. The quarterback though, you have to be, you have to be beyond that. You have to be immersed in everybody's lives involved. I mean, one of the thing, criticisms I've heard from players over the years of Carson was that, yeah, we like Kark. This is like previous year, but yeah, right. Kark, you know, whatever. Um, you know, but we'll go to his foundation stuff for the softball game, this, that, or the other thing. But like, he never comes to any of our, our, um, charity stuff around like that. Wow. And that became kind of an issue, I think, with with some players as well. Um, one thing that really jumped out at me in your article was defined in practice at times. Do you think he got Mike Grow fired? I, I, I can't confirm that. Uh, okay. Uh, all I can confirm is that, you know, they were not seeing eye to eye. They had definitely certainly uh, differing philosophies on how things should be run. Uh, I will say that the front office knew how Carson felt about Mike Rowe before they lobbied for Doug to, to fire him. Everybody okay. knew yep. I mean, in the organization. So um, I don't think Carson went to Howie and Jeff and said, he's got to go, you know, stood on a table. Yep. Um, but certainly they knew what, what the dynamic was there between those two. And certainly I think that's the same thing you could say about Doug and Carson. They knew mm-hmm. about the dynamic there. Okay, so Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie made 2020 seem like a blip. Basically, they defended Carson in this case. It was just one of those years. Would you agree with that? That uh, that it was just one of those years? Yeah, just Um, one of those years and basically defending Carson. Well, I mean, I think they had to obviously say that. Again, they have a financial commitment here. They have to – if he had no money left on his contract, I think he'd be gone. Um, but they don't, that's not the situation here. It's going to be very hard for them to move him. And uh, yeah. they have to kind of make the best of this. I, I wouldn't rule it out if they get the great, a great offer and they can make it work, I guess. But I always felt like the, it made most sense for them to bring him back and try and, and rekindle his career. Again, look, the greater majority of his career has been good, right? Yeah. Um, it's just one bad year. Now, look. We shouldn't gloss over the fact that 2018, there were stretches where he wasn't great. 2019, for the first 10 ga- 12 games, mm-hmm. he was just he was good. He wasn't great. He, he was fine. It wasn't until the end that he really started getting going. Mm-hmm. Um, but that happens for a lot of quarterbacks. I think you got to look at the big picture with him. He's only 28 years old. He's only played in the league for five years. Um, 2017, for 13 games, he was arguably the MVP of the league. He was, he was ascending. Um, but you do have to consider all these other uh, elements. You do have to consider – the fact that he doesn't look 
the same pre-knee injury, pre-back injury, pre-concussion. You have to mm-hmm. take into the fact that maybe his mechanics are, are have gotten to the point where, geez, I mean, I look at the way he's played this year. I mean, he was, he was last in almost every category. Yep. And, you know, some of those – some of those problems are outside his control. We, I think we have to emphasize that as well. I mean, injuries at key spots, offensive line, uh, receivers, tight ends, so the players weren't ready. The defense wasn't playing great at certain points, you know? It was, as I wrote in my tweets, I didn't put this in the story, but this is the term of perfect storm. It was a perfect storm for Carson to become, to have maybe the greatest regression yep. for starting quarterback, for an under-30 starting quarterback in NFL history. Wow. All right, so moving I mean, that's the numbers, yeah. the numbers it's that way. All right, so moving forward now, we we sit here and we wait to find out what kind of new coach they're going to bring in. Uh, Arthur Smith is off the board now. Robert Sala is off the board in a hurry. They've interviewed a lot of people. Are they going to try to bring in a, a, a coach with a strong personality who can stand up to Carson and a coaching staff who can stand up to Carson, or are they going to hire basically a, a puppet type coach? Uh, a coach that they can control, a, con- a coach that will spend more time trying to coddle Carson Wentz to get him back to where he was 2017, 2018. Um, what's your perspective on that? I think ideally they would love to have a coach that can do all those things, that can that can be tough, that can be a CEO, yeah. uh, that's obviously innovative and, and uh, you know forward-thinking type of coach and someone who can get Carson to play better, whether it's coddling him or being hard when you need to be hard. I mean, you can be, this isn't, this is a nuanced thing. You don't have to be one way or the other. Now, that being said, it's very hard for coaches to kind of, to, you know, walk that tightrope. Sure. Um, and, you know, but like, I think what we saw with Chip, they went the opposite direction with Doug. Do they go the opposite direction with Doug and get someone who maybe isn't as emotionally intelligent um, mm-hmm. or someone who just is a little more old school and kind of will will uh, hardline uh, players and and uh, you know not give in as much. I mean, Josh McDaniels would certainly kind of fall under that uh, category mm-hmm. if you ask me. Although I hear he's kind of changed a little bit, obviously since he's last been head coach. Um, but I don't know. I'd be careful to base my hire solely on Carson Wentz. Okay. Because if he goes out and struggles again, he's gone next offseason. Right. And then what do you have? You know, like right. I, I, I would just get the best guy for the situation. I mean, I, you, Carson, you got to factor in Jalen, Jalen Hurts as well. I mean, this is a second-round pick. Um, who's best for him? I don't know. I think you got to get a best, the best guy for the, for the team and the best guy for any quarterback. Right. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't think too much about Carson if you ask me. I mean, obviously, they have to have a plan for Carson. All right, so do you think this is an undesirable position for a potential head coach to come into? I think sometimes too much can be made of that. Okay. Uh, I, yeah, I don't think it's the, the greatest situation that you're walking into. Um, you know, with Houston, if Deshaun Hat- Watson was happy, geez, I, I would think that would be a great situation. He's a top five quarterback right. in town, if you ask me. Uh, in Jacksonville, you have the number one pick. You're going to get Trevor Lawrence. You can build from that. So that has its attractiveness as well. Uh, so I can understand why these positions are being filled right away. The Eagles did get a one-week late start, so that's probably hurt them in regards to this coaching search. Um, but there are only 32 of these jobs in the world. Mm-hmm. There were only seven this offseason. Uh, we've before seen the Eagles 
be criticized as not, or be labeled a team that's not an attractive uh, landing spot. And they went and got Andy Reid in 1999 when no one else had interviewed him. They got Doug Peterson in 2016 when no one else interviewed him. And he ended up winning a Super Bowl and all those other guys fell by the wayside. So there's still an opportunity here. If you're not maybe going to get your first or second option, there's still an opportunity for identifying the right guy out of this other group and making it work. So I think sometimes can, that too much can be made of that. Yep. Um, so, you know, give Jeffrey Lurie credit. He's done a pretty good job of hiring head coaches in the past. All right. All right. So why not give the job to a Deuce Staley? He has been loyal to a fault. He has been, I hate to use this term, but I think it's accurate. He has been the perfect co- uh, company man for the Philadelphia Eagles. He has the utmost respect from players. Every player I've talked to loves Deuce. He's a no-nonsense coach. He's not afraid to get in the players' faces. He's not a, also not afraid to embrace players and listen to their problems, which uh, today's athlete needs a lot of as well. Why? I, I don't think he's a serious candidate. Do you think he's a serious candidate? And if not, why? Yeah, I, I get the impression too, Gunner. I agree yep. with you that he's not a serious candidate. Yep. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, I think some of it falls under the category because I don't think they see him as a play caller because he's not a pass guy. Mm-hmm. And Jeffrey's a pass happy offensive guy. Mm-hmm. So for them, that hurts Deuce. So he would have to go out there and get a play caller. And when you start bringing that element into. The picture, yep. if you get a really good play caller, you're going to lose that guy in a year or two, and then you end up back in at square one. So I feel like that's what hurts Deuce a little bit. But that's got to be the only reason. As you say, I know I talk to the same people as well. Yeah, um, Deuce is well-respected. He's been there a lot of time. He's been very loyal to the team. Uh, but he doesn't get any other interviews elsewhere. He's never, ever interviewed for a head coaching job anywhere else. Now, I'm not mm-hmm. saying that doesn't mean he's not a good candidate, but there must be something else out there about why he's not getting this opportunity. But I feel like it's fair to say this, that you have to wonder why not. Does it have anything to do with race? Mm-hmm. I- I'm sorry. Yep. You know, the, look, when they interviewed in 2016 – they did it on the way to Doug, right? And I think they even did it before the season was over. Right. And I thought that was kind of insulting the way they handled that with Deuce. Um, he said he never had any issue with it. Uh, and obviously he didn't. He stayed on the team. If, if he did, he, he would have gone on. But what we've seen over the years is, is NFL owners who are largely white mm-hmm. have given opportunities to – younger white coordinators than they have to coaches of color. And so why is Deuce getting that same opportunity? Why isn't Eric Fiennemi getting that same opportunity? Um, It's, it's fair to question it. Mm. Yeah. When you, when you consider that over 70, 75% of the workforce in the NFL is of African-American descent, and when you look at the lack of African-Americans, not just with, within the coaching ranks, but the front office ranks as well, I think it has been a travesty. I think the Rooney rule has been a joke through the years. And I don't see it getting any better, not just with the Philadelphia Eagles, but across the board in the National Football League. And, and I will give Jeff credit. I mean, Jeff did hire the first coach he hired was uh, African-American, yeah. uh, Ray Rhodes. Yeah. Um, and that was back when there weren't many uh, in the NFL 
Um, look, and, and they still have the right to hire who they feel is, is right. And they've, they've interviewed Todd Bowles. They're interviewing Todd Bowles today. Yeah. Uh, and it, uh, who else did they interview that's at Africa? Well, Eric Bannamy, I think, is on the On the slate. list, yep. Yeah. Um, and there's somebody else. Who am I missing? Oh, and Deuce. So, yeah. um, you know, obviously they're giving serious consideration to these candidates, but, and I'm not just, I don't want to point the finger at the Eagles. Like I said, it's just, it's all around the league. Right. Um, I mean, you know, there's four African-American coordinators still left in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Why isn't Leslie Frazier getting another opportunity? Why right. isn't Dante Culpepper? Dante Culpepper should definitely be a head coaching candidate. Mm. Right. What, look what he's done with Tom Brady in a new whole new system. Absolutely. 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 So I understand. But you know, Joe Brady's been in the NFL for a cup of water and a cup of coffee. And how many times interviews is he? It's just. It, exactly. It's just, it's, just amazing. it's just amazing. Are you surprised Howie is still in charge? No, because I know how much Jeff trusts trust him. And I know um, how much that means to Jeff. And I know that I think how in a lot of ways allows Jeff to be involved, allows Jeff to be, to have some sort of say in, um, you know, what goes on with his team. I, you know, we saw, Gunnar, you and I saw this in 2015, a big reason why Chip was gone so quickly after mm-hmm. he'd been given personal power. And there were many reasons for it. But Jeff wanted his team back, as, uh, as I think I remember the, the quote being from one, a source close to him. Uh, and Chip had iced Howie out, and then he had iced Jeffrey out as, yep. a, as a result. And Jeff wants to have somebody that he nearby who he can trust that will keep him involved, but also keep him in the loop on a lot of information. That obviously had a lot to do with why Doug was hired as well. So I think there's element, there's an element to that of Howie. And really, honestly, he's been there a long time. I think he considers Howie almost like a son. Mm. Um, and wouldn't you think that maybe because that, that press conference that Jeffrey gave was, uh, I know he was the first time he'd ever done a Zoom one, but it was really, really bad. Yep. And it really told you how much he, it was like a, a father sticking up for his son without ever acknowledging all the mistakes he'd made. I couldn't agree. He with, never, he never no. conceded one mistake. No, I, I, I thought that was the biggest waste of time to have both of them step up there and basically tell you nothing and basically answer no questions that all you guys were asking. He just tap danced his way, both of them tap danced their way around a lot of the issues. And I understand you have to keep a lot of stuff close to the vest in-house, especially in a situation like this. Uh, you're getting rid of a coach. All the rumors come out about all the in-house turmoil. The team was nowhere near what you thought it would be. A lot of it attributed to abundance of injuries along the way, which really hurt you and held you back in a lot of ways. I understand that, but they have to be smart enough to know when you step in front of that camera, especially in a market the size of a Philadelphia, and especially when you have people like the Jeff McLeans who are going to sit there and ask you the insightful, pertinent questions that you can't be uncomfortable. You have to come up with some kind of answer, even even if it's a, a politically correct answer, an answer that somebody can hold onto, grasp onto, until we find out exactly what your next move is. I felt like he's almost like insulting the the fan base's intelligence because this yeah. is one of the smarter fan bases out there. They they know what's going on yeah. and they can see what was going on. I mean, Jeff never really gave a good answer as to why Doug is being held to this one standard three years after winning a Super Bowl and how he wasn't. And everyone can look at the roster and know that the roster was a major reason why this team had gone down the tubes Mm -hmm. in just three years. So 
I'm not advocating for Howie to be fired. That's not my job. Right. Uh, but, um, but certainly I felt like typically what you see in the situation we saw with the Falcons, we, you know, we not, not far removed from winning the Super Bowl. Uh, we saw it with the, the Jacksonville Jaguars because yep. how we'd ref, uh, excuse me, Jeffrey had referenced those teams when comparing what happened to the Eagles um, to them, they cleaned house. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that's the best way to handle it because if you want to get the coach you want, or you want to get the GM you want, you want to give them a little say over whether they're, you know, over whatever coach they want to hire mm-hmm. or whatever GM they want to be partnered with. And what you're having now is another dynamic because how he's still in place of, ruling out some candidates because they want to be able to come in and pick their guy or they want to come in and be able to pick the groceries as well as uh, you know cook the meal. All right, so this team is way over the cap, 60, 70 million over a cap. A roster has gotten old. There's going to be some prominent names on this roster who will not be with this team in 2021. You have to get younger in a hurry and hopefully get better in a hurry, meaning a couple of years instead of four, five, six years. How concerned are you about the future, the immediate future of this team with Howie still at the helm, especially if Howie is still picking the players when you look at his track record in recent years. Well, I, here, I will give Howie credit uh, in a similar sur- sur- uh, situation, not as bad, right. but in, in a similar situation, 2016, 2017, he was one of the best GMs in the mm-hmm. league. I mean, he won executive of the year after 2017. I thought his 2016 offseason was better than his 2000. And, well, it was as good. I mean, 2017, right. in free, every die he rolled yep. came up in races, you know, right? Yep. So, to mix my metaphors. Um, <laughs> so, how he, can, how he can do it, he's kind of got to get back to that that thinking. And maybe that's why Jeff is keeping him because how he had done it before and – the short-term thinking wasn't how he wasn't good at that, clearly. Maybe the long-term thinking, Jeff's thinking, okay, that he's just a guy to, to rebuild this team. But they got a lot of rebuilding. Jeff didn't use the word rebuilding, yep. but they're rebuilding. Transition was his big word. Because you hate to say that. I think you hate to say that <clears throat> in the NFL because, again, you can turn things around pretty quickly. This, yep. isn't, uh, this isn't like baseball or other where there's no salary cap. But also I think that he's always worried about turning fans off um, as well. But this is a rebuild. Um, there's, they got to get rid of a lot of the old, older guys that they have in place, or they got to bring them back at ch- cheaper numbers, which may be difficult. So then you got to move them. And, uh, and you don't have a lot of young talent that you're saying, okay, these are core mm-hmm. players that I can see here for a long time. Do, do you see a Brandon Graham? Do you see a Jason mm-hmm. Kelsey? Do you see, you know, a Jason Peters g- go down the line? Do you see those guys in place and, and, for the most part, you don't. That being said, as I just referenced, you see every year single-digit winning teams going double-digit, the uh, for, you know, in one season. So, That's and again, right. if you can get Carson Wentz back to playing close to where he was in 2018-19, that's just one step moving in the right direction. But as you mentioned, uh, the cap is not great. You're not going to be able to mm-hmm. do much in free agency. And they're going to have to get rid of some good players. Like Zach Ertz is a good tight end still. I yep. know he didn't play great last season, but they're going to probably have to get rid of him. And whether that makes sense or not, you're still getting rid of a good player. Yep. Malik Jackson probably won't be back yep. with this team yep. as well. And then you're going to get rid of the old guard, no Alshon, no d So you're going to rely on the likes of the John Hightowers, the Jalen Ragers, 
uh, to carry this team in a lot of ways, and Miles Sanders uh, moving forward. Um, you were mentioning Jason Kelsey, and you and I have known Jason Kelsey a long time. Do you think he's going to hang it up? I mean, I thought there was such a defining moment after their last game uh, when you saw the picture of Carson, Kelsey, uh, and those guys sitting on the sidelines uh, like an hour after the game was all said and done. Kelsey has openly talked to us in the locker room at the end of the last previous two seasons about, you know, contemplating retirement. And, you know, we both know when Jason Kelsey steps on the field between the lines, he's all about the business. When he gives his commitment, he's all about the business. But there's also the other aspect. When you start talking openly about it, that's when you know you're closer to the end. Do you think he comes back in 2021? I mean, it's a fair question, obviously, because what you stated, he's, he's admitted to thinking about it for, I think two years ago was the closest he he had gotten. Yeah. Last year, he said it didn't really take him long to think about it. So I think, you know, he typically needs some time to, to forget about the season and just kind of focus on, on being himself and then getting mm-hmm. his body back to feeling normal. And maybe if he struggles to get his body back to feeling normal, then maybe that in his mind makes him think that it's time to hang him up. Um, I mean, he, that guy plays through injury every year. Yeah. Yep. Uh, he had the elbow thing, which I bet you was probably a, a tear or something that most guys probably wouldn't have played uh, through. Uh, so I think he's probably going to need some time. I mean, he may also look at the the rebuild and say, "All right, is this something I want to be a part of? Can mm-hmm. I can I go through this again?" Um, he's got ten years in the NFL. I know Jeff. I know. Uh, excuse me, Jason worries a lot about you know how maybe the constant uh, headbutting of his of his uh, of his helmet with uh, offensive linemen. Sure, he's always talked about that more than concussions. Kind of the the uh, long-term effects of just constantly when you're blocking. So I think he cares about that kind of stuff. He has a newborn baby. Um, he obviously would have a lot of other opportunities outside of football or inside of football and other areas. So I guess if you're asking me to give you um, odds or percentage, I would say yeah. I would lean just slightly more towards him retiring than coming back. Okay. All right. So like maybe well, 51, 40, yeah. 51, 49. Okay, so as we sit here now, there's a lot of decisions that have to be made by this organization. Of course, we can't wait to see which direction they're going to go in. But before I let you go, I'm going to spend a little time talking about Jeff McLean for a few minutes. Oh, wow, really? You want oh, to talk yeah. About me? oh, yeah. And, and I'll tell you what, the one thing that I've always admired about you um, that is also I found quite humorous is the fact that, and I think you will admit this, there have been times as I've gotten to know you through the years, um, whether it's in a press conference, whether it's in a locker room, occasionally um, a player will come up and question something you've written or said about them. You can tell at press conferences sometimes a coach will get a little bit irritated with the way you um, pose your questions to them. How is Jeff McClain able to get under people's skins the way you do? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't have a deaf ch- touch like you, man. <laughs> I wish I asked questions like you. I swear. You, you, oh. you, you would ask tough questions and never ever anger anybody. <laughs> my favorite question, though, my favorite question of Gunner. I know I'm taking this off me for a little bit. Okay. Was after Riley Cooper's after Riley Cooper's incident. Oh yeah. That? Yes. It, uh, the video came out of him. Oh, jeez. And I think we all just looked at you and said, Gunner, you take the first one. Yes. And yours, yes. yours is pretty much like, Riley, 
what were you thinking? That was, I think that was your question. No, no, no. The, my first question was, what were you thinking? And then the second question I asked was, how do you say something like that when 70% of your co-workers are African-American? And it was like the yeah. rest The rest of you guys stood there and went, I'm glad you asked that. And now yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I, I forgot all about that. I'm glad you brought that up. But do, do you ever find uh, at times when your job gets, I, I'm looking for the right word. Um, stressful? <laughs> stressful. Yeah, that's a great word, stressful. Yeah, sometimes I hate being like the bad guy. Um, yeah. I, I think with players, I typically have a good relationship yes, with. Uh, I agree. It's a little different dynamic. And I, I feel like a lot of times these are young men. Um, you know, they haven't been placed in these situations. Some of them come from big programs. A lot of them don't come from big programs and haven't been through it before. Philadelphia is extremely difficult. I right. feel like, you know, asking them super hard questions all the time is not my job. Now, there's sometimes those questions have to be asked and they yes. have to be asked in a certain way. And certainly with the quarterback at times as well. Um, but – Doug, you know, the head coach has got to be be able to stand up there and be ready to take the hard the hard questions. And Howie Rose, Jeffrey Lurie, these are these are uh, grown men who are decision makers. They're millionaires. They they need to be asked tough questions that the fans want answered. So I never ever really balk at uh, going full mm-hmm. steam like that. But yep. yeah, I, sorry. But yeah, I mean, like it's like sometimes you know, like Riley Cooper to <laughs> bring up a guy. I mean, he one time went after me one time in the locker room. I'd written something. It was just a story just about how he was struggling from uh, 2013 versus 2014. Right. And he went right after me and was yelling at me in front of everybody and even sent me, he was sending me text messages and stuff like that. And like, I thought, I'm like, Riley, I thought I was fair with you, you know? Right. Um, you know, there's been a, time, well, a couple of times where I fall back because when I don't feel like they're being fair, I mean, right. like, this is all, this is all inside baseball stuff. Sure. You know, and like, again, you know, it's like how the sausage is being made. I mean, I, I get it from the Eagles communications department, as so have you. We you know we know that. Yep, I mean, yep. we're going to get it. You know, um, but we're just trying to be fair and trying to keep them involved as much as possible in how we cover the team. But um, you know, uh, I'm an equal opportunity uh, reporter, meaning that, um, and I feel like that's why I've been able to survive so long. It's like I don't have an agenda. I really right. don't. I don't have uh, building narratives. I don't have fan favorites or not. I mean, certainly if you're going to treat me with respect and if you're going to be open to uh, conversation, I'm going to give you maybe perhaps the benefit of doubt more right. than typically I would. if you're going to hate on me or if you're going to spew lies about me or anything like that. But I will try my best to be fair and accurate and um, everybody, you know, and I'm just following my nose as, as far as being a reporter. Um, I don't have an agenda. I never had an agenda. People feel like I do. I feel like uh, because maybe I'm willing to report maybe some stuff that do- doesn't reflect as well as about the team. Right. Uh, but that just comes because I'm 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 an, I'm like it's an I'm an innate uh, reporter in terms yep. of I just really dig things. Out. The stuff that I always feel like the stuff that they don't want out there is the stuff that's really hard to report, and 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 that's the stuff I really want to go after. You know, most of the stuff you get that's reported in the NFL, it's just going to be found out anyway. But what yep. about the stuff that no one knows about, that no one uh, would ever know about unless we do our, our due diligence and yep. finding it out? I mean, I feel like that's kind of what I'm here for. And, um, and I'm just doing it for our, uh, Eagles fans and for readers and for, and for journalism. What is the most uncomfortable situation you've been in in terms of having to defend yourself 
whether it's been with a player or a front office type? Oh, I, I can't tell that story. Come on, man. I can't tell that story. I'm saving it for my memoirs. Ah, okay. I can't, I can't tell the story because I can't tell the story because he's still in the organization. If he okay. had left the organization, I would be able to tell the story. Uh, maybe I'll just kind of mention it in vague terms. I mean, okay. I reporting something about someone and uh, we got to the point where we had to meet with the, the editor. Well, they had like, there was like lies being sent about me to my editor. There was yeah. like, just like ridiculous stuff that they, whoever this person was clearly wanted me to be fired from my job or taken off the beat. Okay. So ridiculous okay. to the point where my editor's calling me up. He's like, what's this I hear? I'm like, that's the most ridiculous thing in the world. I could never, I mean, like, think about it. And they're like, yeah, this is completely like, we could physically prove it. Um, and I got to the point where we had a sit down meeting and stuff like that. Yep. And in that meeting, it was like extremely uncomfortable because um, this person acted like a 10 year old. Yeah. Uh, yep. And uh, I just feel like uh, I, I was yeah, just trying to be as professional as possible. I, I think when people meet me and then they, um, or, you know, have a certain impression, I think you probably have it the same way too. Mm. You're not that. Um, anyway, I, I yeah. can't go into detail about it. Someday maybe. You know what? It's funny you should bring that up because I, I can't go into details, but I remember years ago, uh, this was a certain um, person within the organization uh, accused me of always taking a player's side and never uh, the other side. And basically I said, well, you know what? Um, well, whenever I send you an email uh, or a text and I ask you for your side, you can't say we don't want to comment on it at this particular time. And it got to a point yeah. where my bosses had to have a meeting with their bosses over there as well. And my bosses, bosses basically said, you know, uh, we'll handle what we do here. You worry about what you do. Um, right. But I had to go through something similar to that. What's what's if if I pinned you down for one specific thing, what is the proudest thing uh, you you can say about covering the Philadelphia Eagles for over a decade? What, what's what's your one shiny moment? Oh uh, oh uh, one oh one shiny. Mo- I mean, um, oh, God, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, I love digging things up. Uh, that, that otherwise wouldn't be out there. Um, I mean, the big report, biggest report I ever had was when Joe Banner stepped down to president. Right. And the reason why I say that was because I basically got the whole organization to sit down and talk with me. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people thought that that was something that was like gifted to me. Yeah. Um, certainly they let me know about it, but only because I had been bothering them because I had heard about Joe was on his way out. Right, right. So I kept sending messages to Andy and Towie and, and Joe himself about it. And I was, I was, I used to be like a nut. I was like uh, fir- uh, first in, first out of the Novacare. That used to be kind of my motto. Yeah. And um, uh, back when I was really hungry and young. And, uh, and there was one day when I was the last guy there. I think Les Bone was still there with me. Yeah. But he, he, he just left and I got, I got, a call and blah, blah, blah. I've met someone. And then, um, and this was like on a, this was in June, early June after right, like right. an NBA practice, no one there and stuff like that. And, and, um, made a couple calls, found out this, that, and the other thing. I'm like, well, let's, I'm here. Oh, they're like, okay, this, they're like, okay, we, we want to get you on with, uh, we'll get you on. I said, can you give me Jeff and blah, blah, blah. They said, okay, we'll do that. I'm like, I'm here. I'm like, let's do it here. Right. Right. And they're like, uh, Okay. So they bring me up to maybe Jeffrey's office. No, I think it was one of the uh, conference rooms. They bring me to the conference, conference room, and there in the conference room is Joe, Jeff, 
Howie, Andy, and me. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, and they're like, all right, and Derek Boyko. And they're like, all right, what do you want to ask? And Jesus, you know. <laughs> so, so this was, you know, obviously this was 2012. I mean, Correct. certainly it was just impossible to break stories in the newspaper back then. Yeah. And, um, and they told me I was the only one who was going to have it. And from what I could gather, no one else was going to have it. Right. And I called my boss to tell him about the whole thing. Write this, blah, blah, blah. Uh, this is what I have. This, blah, blah, blah. this has got to go A1, whatever, cross right. the front. I'm, I'm going to be the only one who gets it and stuff like that. And <clears throat> I stayed up all night making sure to want the print because we were constantly working on the story to fine tune it to. I, mean, I was going back to some of the sources uh, and some of those guys in particular in that story. And when it went to press, bang, um, I knew it was in. And then next, it just blew up the next day because I was the only one to have it. And I was able to break it in the newspaper. Yep. Which was like, you know, that was obviously the way things used to be done. And back then, when you broke something in the newspaper, it was if you were on, if you were the competition, you'd be like, oh my god, I got, you know, like yeah, it was yeah, terrible. Yeah, yeah. A whole day of not being able to confirm it or anything like that. So this, obviously, this got confirmed very, very quickly. But so that was that was, I guess, that was a nice moment. Okay. You know, these COVID times we live in, it forced a lot of us to do a lot of different things and approach our jobs in so many different ways. Man, I haven't seen you physically in like a year, almost yeah, a year. And, yeah, and I'm and I'm sitting here now, and, and I was teasing you before we started the podcast. You've got the full beard growing now. I'm looking at all this gray. You look like you remember the old TV show Grizzly Adams. You know, I, I, I'm complimenting you. you remember, it was an old show, show. It looked like you just came down out of the mountains from from bear hunting or something, man. So how how you feeling about having a full beard now? Because I'm I just so started used, growing. Yeah, I'm so used to seeing a clean shaven Jeff McClain. It caught me off guard. I'm like, what in the world? So yeah. how do you feel about this yeah. now? I got a hat on. I know I look terrible. Anybody's watching. Like, oh, I'm and I did shower. My hair's a little longer, but I wanted to represent my spurs. Merely. <laughs> For any of you EPL fans out there, uh, and uh, no, I, I've grown the beard before, but yeah. uh, you know, I guess just like because we're, I don't know. I think I feel like everyone's growing these things nowadays. I mean, you've always had the goat, right? Yeah. No, I, I usually had the mustache. I didn't go to. Oh, I didn't go. Stash, with the, yeah. I didn't go with the goatee route until maybe like two years ago, and I did it just for an effect initially. I, and I said, you know, my wife's going to make me shave it because uh, like four years ago, my wife and I and our kids and some friends, we went on a missions trip once down to Mexico, and my beard started growing in, and my wife said, as soon as we get back to the States, you're shaving that. I don't want to look like I'm married to this old man. I'm like, okay. So yeah. a few years later, I tried to test the waters, and I'm thinking she's going to say, get rid of this thing. She goes, you know what? I like it. So I don't know if it was like a Jedi mind trick to get me to, to shave it, but I didn't, and I kept it, and, and, and I, I can't. I don't think I can live without it now, man. Yeah, I like it, man. I like it. <laughs> well, hey, man, look. I can't thank you enough for taking time to be on Gun on Wonder podcast. Uh, you know how I feel about you. I have the utmost respect for you, and well, you know how I feel uh, about you, man. I appreciate it, brother. One of the best. I appreciate it, One of the best it, ever did it, man. Thank you, brother. No other TV guy like you. I mean, obviously you're good on the beat, but like, yeah. uh, I mean, the way you were able to cultivate relationships with people in that organization. Yeah. But, Very good. But man, uh, don't don't be surprised if I hit you up down the road uh, as this thing continues to fall unfold. 
Um, especially when we get closer to the draft, I'm going to get you on and some other writers and do a mock draft on a gun on one podcast. If you'd be willing to do that for me as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. He is the one. Stop scooping me though. Stop scooping me though. Look, I'm trying to play catch up to the likes of you, man. I mean, you know, I'm on the outside looking in now. Maybe I'll be back in the inside down the road. We'll see, but I'm trying to get back to where you are now. So you're making me work harder now, man. Well, I hope I see you again, man. You know, yes, sir. I'm sure. I'm sure it'll happen because too talented, too talented not to be, uh, or at least covering whatever it is. You put you on anything, I guess. <laughs> I, I appreciate you, brother. Um, you know, he is the one and only Jeff McLean. I advise everybody out there read the article "Inside Carson Wentz's Turbulent Season and the Forces Behind His Regression." It's a great article. A lot of insight. I'm sure there's a lot of stuff in there that the Eagles organization didn't want to get out, but that's what I expect for Jeff McLean to give you something that everybody else is not giving you. And, of course, follow Jeff on his Twitter account, Jeff underscore McLean, as I always do. My man, thank you so much for being on Gun on One, the podcast. All right, Gunner. I'm looking forward to talking to you and seeing you down your road, hopefully sooner rather than later, my brother. All right. Oh, absolutely. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for having me. All right, brother. And that's going to conclude this edition of Gun on One, the podcast. It is brought to you by Patterson's Word Garden. For my man, Jeff McLean, I'm Derek Gunn. Uh, as I tell you guys each and every week, uh, continue to be blessed. But more importantly, be a blessing to each and every person you encounter out there. So long, everybody. of D-Gun Enterprises in Patterson Square Garden. Elvin Shabazian and Wes Pendleton are the executive producers on behalf of Patterson Square Garden. Lead producer is Derek Gunn. Associate producer is John McNeil. Sound design, mixing, and mastering by Elvin Shabazian. Original music by Weatherman. For more information about the podcast, visit gunonone.com. And please, don't forget to subscribe and give us a positive rating if you're feeling the show. Thank you. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. 
All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.